0: Welcome, everybody, to Nude Radio. This is your host, Kenny Heflin. And today we have uh, a pretty good topic today. I think I was inspired by a conversation recently. Actually, it was like the other night And it was with a friend of mine. We went out to get drinks and we just started talking about just our upbringing. You know, we started talking about just like our past as gay men, as, you know, going back as far as being gay kids in Detroit. Uh, I think he actually is from Ohio or something like that. So we're both from the Midwest. Right. And. There's so much struggle that comes with being from the Midwest, which is a part of the country that I love very humble beginnings, of course, but it can definitely be very much close minded behaviors where people practice that on a daily. I mean, it is what it is. And we start talking about just again, we start talking about our past and stuff and like, Things that we were probably teased about or being gay and especially being gay, black boys growing up in the Midwest. So we started getting on the topic of. Just, you know, our upbringings from the music we liked, you know, what kind of if we had sports that we played, if we had siblings and how those relationship dynamics were right. so in a conversation, he brought up the uh, the topic of internalized
1: homophobia. And he basically said that he just he didn't think that
0: anyone who is homosexual could not practice internalized homophobia. So basically anyone of the LGBTQ community he just didn't feel like, for whatever reason, that they couldn't, you know, not just fully love themselves, right? So I got into the topic because I wanted to get into this part because it really struck a chord. And I told him a story about my upbringing, I told him a story about my past as. A gay black boy growing up in the Midwest, and I wanted to make sure that he understood that internalized homophobia, though he may seem to think that it's impossible that as a gay person, you can't practice that. I felt that that was not something that I practiced and I gave him a reason why and I gave him A little story, you know, and basically this is a semi nude episode, of course, because it is just me. You it's just me, you, you guys. And. This is story time, (laughs) this is story time. So what happened was. (laughs) When I was a kid. I had a very privileged. Upbringing, You know, I was the type of kid where, you know, I was the youngest of my siblings and I had everything that I wanted. I grew up in the 90s. I mean, just that decade alone was like the best decade just for any and everything. But to be a kid during the 90s, I mean, come on now. We had. The Power Rangers. We had, you know, Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon and and Pokemon and Digimon and all the the greats, right? All the Disney Channel movies and TV shows and Winnie the Pooh. Oh my God! So we had everything, you know, the wrestling shows, all that stuff. So I say that to mention, like, the '90s was amazing to grow up in, and it was a great time and during those times of having such a great childhood having everything i wanted you know my parents made sure that they worked hard to establish a lifestyle that was easy and smooth for us as a kid at least you know we don't know what our parents were probably going through behind closed doors but we only know so much of What we got because they provided, right? So, and we're kids. So, I had a great time. I had a great childhood, but I also had a piece of my childhood that was not so great. And it went, you know, like this. So, basically, I have two older brothers. One older brother is 10 years older than I am. And the second older brother is about seven years older, almost eight years older than me. Right. And I came into this world. Kicking and screaming and wanting things to be done how I needed to get it done. Right. So that's just always been me. I've been a a go getter since I've been a baby from what my parents tell me. And I came into this world just wanting nice things and all of those great things. Right. And what happened was with my brothers it's such a big age gap, you know, such a big age gap. And I'm not sure still to this day with my second brother, who. In my opinion, growing up, he did not like me. He hated me absolutely hated me right for no reason i was just living just existing and being a kid and for some reason my brother he he just didn't like me he did not like me y'all uh, i mean i was called you know mama boy and sissy and soft and All these different things to demean me and to bring me down, I was not like the regular big brother, little brother dynamic where the big brother tends to be rough with the little brother to roughen him up and make him tough and all that stuff or whatever. No, my brother, my middle brother, of course, he was very much hostile towards me. You know, he would, you know make me fight other little boys to not prove that I was the best at fighting or that I was the toughest, but to see
1: the other boys fuck me up and cause me harm. Like that is what I was told. That was something that
0: I was told by him on many occasions. It was often that we would have what they called street fights. And during those street fights, I would always be the victor. I was always winning. I was always whooping ass and taking names and people were always shocked and they could never wrap their minds around it because I've always been since I was a kid, I've always been someone who was a loner. I was always an introvert and I was always somebody who. Just minding my business, I stayed to myself, I didn't mess with anybody. I loved playing with animals, you know, I loved playing with you know insects and all that stuff, like I was in nature, being myself, doing my own thing, not mess with anybody right, and people just used to think that you know I was a pushover and that that they could just walk all over me, and when we would have these these street fights, you know, I would always whoop all the boys asses and people used to be like, wow, like Kenny, he's so quiet. Like we thought that he would get his ass beat or something like that. And it's like, no, I've never lost a fight. Y'all like I've been fighting all my life and I had to prove to myself that, you know, I'm not want to be fucked with, but you would think that having winning all these fights that I would gain the respect of my brother. No, that was never good enough for him. It was always, you know, he just wanted to see me get hurt. That was what it was. And it continued on into the adolescence where I was getting bigger, you know, so I was at an age where he could try to you know enforce more physical harm you know towards me is again having me fight people and again i was always winning i was always winning and that never pleased him that never made him stop that never made him happy you know because again what would make him happy at that time was seeing me get my ass beat you know and I didn't start experiencing homophobia outside the home until I was about in seventh grade. And in seventh grade, I was everybody's friend. You know, I was cool with everyone. I made people laugh. I made people happy. And around seventh grade, you know, we're all starting to develop the essential things that, you know, make us teenagers almost, right? You know, we're going through puberty and the things that made us funny before or made us endearing before are now starting to make us look a little different. And during that time, you know, I say that to say, you know, to give the example where, you know, when you have a girl, for example, right, and she's sporty, she is athletic, she's A little bit rough you know she's she's a tomboy that's what like i think maybe the 90s kids like i think maybe we're like the last ones to use this phrase like uh or just the word tomboy but she's a tomboy you know all her life she's a tomboy you know she's rough she's rough and then around the age of 12 13 she goes from being a tomboy to being a lesbian she goes to being what they would call a dyke or a butch or, or, you know, all these derogatory words, right? So it goes from being something fun to not being fun. Same thing with being a boy. And it goes from being, you know, endearing and sensitive to being gay and fruity. And, you know, I hate to use the word fact. Um, I hate that word, but that's a word that they would use. And they still use it to this day. And I I dealt with that. I dealt with it. You know, it started to be something that was whispered around. And during that time, it was so stressful because I knew who I was. I was always aware of being gay since I was three. Okay, you know, just to give you a brief history, I was Very much aware of my gayness as a child because I knew that I always liked other when I was a little boy. I knew I always liked other little boys. I knew that I didn't like the little girls. I knew that as a little boy, I wanted to be friends with the little girls, but I had crushes on the other boys in school. And I didn't know that it was something that people would deem as wrong or inappropriate until I was about 4 to 5 years old. I was about in kindergarten and because I do have older brothers when I was 5 my brothers were teenagers at that time. So growing up in the Midwest in a black family we for the majority tend to be, you know, of the Christian faith or Baptist or whatever you have, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. Some people are Muslims, but in my family, we were Christian and we were black and we were in the Midwest and being gay was wrong. You know, let them say it. Being gay was it was wrong. It was a sin. That was something that was not supposed to happen. Boys were not supposed to like boys and, you know, they're only supposed to like girls and I was just I overheard a lot, God, like, you know, and I'm sure a lot of my gay listeners and lesbian listeners and other people of the LGBTQIA community could relate to this, where we heard all of these different things that were stitched in homophobia. You know, it was stitched in transphobia. It was stitched in, you know, being different. And being different was wrong, and I overheard all these things. Not I just I internalized all of it because I knew that if I was overhearing someone in my family saying that boys liking boys is wrong and it's a sin, and of course, a sin is a bad thing. Here it is: I'm a five year old knowing that I'm a boy, and.
1: I like boys and it seems to be that. To them, that this is a bad thing, and I know that I'm a kid and I don't want to get in trouble,
0: so I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to keep it a secret. I'm going to keep it to myself and lock it down. And when I was about seven years old, I saw the Grammys. We were watching the Grammys, my mom and I, one night, and they were in Hollywood. And I remember seeing the Hollywood sign and I saw the red carpets and all the lights, the glitz, the glamour and everything. And I wanted to live in Hollywood. That was the first moment that I realized that I wanted to move to California, specifically Hollywood, California. and. I just remember running around the house, telling my parents, like, I want to live in Hollywood. I want to live in Hollywood. And they were like, Kenny, you can do whatever you want. You can live in Hollywood if you want. I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to live in Hollywood. And as a kid growing up into my adolescence, I made up in my mind that I wanted to live in Hollywood. I wanted to move when I was 18 years old, and I wanted to be an actor, film director, and I wanted to be a pop star and all these different things. Right. And those were my dreams as a kid. And I just remember loving where I came from. I love Michigan. Michigan is a beautiful state. It's gorgeous. But I just knew that what I wanted in life was not in Michigan and it was in Hollywood and I was going to do everything that I could do to get here to Hollywood. And I was going to work my ass off to get to where I wanted to be. And that was just me just again, as a, as a kid. Right. So I just remember having those times where having a great childhood, but having those moments that weren't so favorable amongst me, right? You know, I didn't have all the moments that were perfect. I had those rough moments. I had those times where I was being bullied. And I had those times where it started outside the home. And that happened in adolescence. And it went until I was in eighth grade and I was the new kid in school. And I just I will never forget. It was this girl who She asked me one time, she was like, do you think that I'm cute and me being me being honest, a blunt Sagittarius where I said, no, (laughs) she asked me and I gave her the answer. So I said, no, I, I, I didn't find her attractive. And she took that answer and she spread a rumor about me being gay. And that rumor spread like wildfire. I was teased so much, y'all, in eighth grade. I was taunted so bad that I had to leave class later to get to certain classes earlier to avoid being teased or taunted in the hallways. You know, I was I was that kid. I was that kid who had to eat lunch in the hallway. I was that kid who had to eat lunch in the library. I was that kid who had to eat lunch in the bathroom stall. Sometimes I was that kid, you know, during lunchtime hours, I would eat my food and walk out and just walk the hallways by myself that was me that was my reality in 8th grade and it was rough and i never fought the guys because with my upbringing of having to fight i was someone who was unconfrontational to a certain a certain degree and i always tried to avoid violence as much as possible and i i just i didn't want to fight I really didn't. But if I had to, I would fuck somebody up. You know, I had to learn how to box. I had to learn how to, you know, do like certain martial art moves and stuff like that and fuck people up in those types of ways. Like I was trained as a kid and I just remember knowing that I just wanted to be left alone. I wanted to just live my life and get this whole thing over with so I can hurry up and turn 18. And move to Hollywood and become a pop star, right? So I never was the kid that went off of words. I was always taught that you don't fight someone based off of what they say. If somebody is about to step within your personal space, then you got to lay them out. If somebody hits you first then it's time to whoop ass. That's how I was raised. And that is what worked for me. So though I was teased and taunted by the boys and some of the girls in eighth grade, they never physically stepped to me. They never did that right. And I just remember it got to the point where I started to reach that boiling stage where I just exploded one day and I was like to the I told the boys I'm like
1: fight me fight me if y'all don't like me so much fight me I
0: invite you to I told them that to face and I'll never forget
1: that they mumbled and walked off all the boys that talked all that shit they walked off And at that point, this was around the end of the school year. At this point,
0: and I just remember going into the summer that year, just knowing, like, and hoping that I didn't have those same boys go to the same high school I was going to go to because we grew up in Southfield, Michigan. So I, which is a suburb of Detroit, is is north of Detroit. It's a beautiful. Woodsy Suburbs, great, but we have two middle schools there and two high schools. And I just remember knowing like, you know, OK, I'm going into ninth grade. I do not want to repeat of eighth grade, which was literally the worst year of my life because I was not only dealing with homophobia and bullying and taunting from my brother at home, but I was also dealing with it. At school, like there was literally no escape, and I say that to say this: every day wasn't horrible, every day wasn't bad, but I just—it was a struggle. It was—it was tough, and I don't want to minimalize what I went through because it was rough for me. You know, if I wasn't which. I was always every day in school, I was getting teased and taunted and bullied and all that stuff, verbally bullied. But every day at home wasn't bad. So some days I would have both at home and out of home bullying. But most days it would be out of home school bullying, verbal bullying, of course, because they never stepped to me physically. And I just remember during those times that I sat down with myself and I just remember thinking, like, I can't wait to get away from here. I can't wait to be
1: who I feel like I really am. I cannot wait, y'all. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, When I turn 18, I'm moving to Hollywood. When I turn 18, I'm getting away from these people.
0: I'm getting away from these family members who I feel don't like me. I'm getting away from these people at school who don't like me. And I'm going to be the person that I want to be. And I. I may not have had the business of watching it, but at the time, (laughs) as a kid, (laughs) I knew a lot of things, you know, again, I had a childhood, I had a great childhood, but I was a kid that had, again, older siblings and older influences around me. So I knew things as far as, you know, the birds and the bees, and I knew what sex looked like, you know, I watched shows and movies on the on the low. And I just I was in the know. Right. And I just remember when I was 10 years old in fifth grade when a show called Queer Folk first aired. And I remember seeing other men, you know. Together, sexually, having friendships and love interests and things like that. And I just remember thinking like, wow, that's going to be me one day. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to have friends like that. I can't wait to go to places like that and go to restaurants and go to bars and and listen to music and have great conversation. I used to watch those shows and I used to watch those movies, you know where i I would sneak and and rent movies that were gay inspired coming of age stories, and my parents had no clue. they literally had no clue because again. I just got what I wanted. Nobody asked a question, but, and I had my own room and I would just watch these movies and just like think about like, wow, I can't wait to do that. I can't wait to be this person. I was always a future thinker. And I just remember thinking like, wow, once I escape this life, I'm gonna be who I really wanna be. I'm going to be the Kenny that I really want to be and I'm going to be awesome. I can't wait. It's going to be it's going to be great. And during those dark times where I felt so down, I
1: felt so worthless. I felt so. Targeted and so attacked and so. I felt so fucked up, you know, it was rough. It was rough, y'all. It was really
0: rough. And kids are mean. Kids are so
1: fucking mean. And I just remember accepting myself, but I just knew that I had to keep it a secret because I had to survive.
0: Growing up as a gay black boy in the Midwest, you have to survive.
1: You got to survive long enough to live. If that makes sense. You have to survive. To live. And I just remember thinking to myself, like.
0: I don't want a I don't want a repeat of eighth grade. I can't. I cannot tolerate this. You know, I'm getting it from both sides. I'm getting it at home. I'm getting it at school. There's really not a lot of escape. And I hate that, you know, we have to go through things things like this because so
1: many of our LGBTQ kids have taken their life they have attempted to take their life. They have thought about taking their life, you know, and at the worst, they have succeeded in taking their own life. The suicide rate for adolescents, I mean, it's, it's dangerously high and
0: it's problematic and is something that shouldn't exist. But during those formidable years, we are so sensitive, we are so raw, we are so in tuned, and we need to be held,
1: we need to be heard, we need to be hugged, and we need to be accepted. And I never felt that I was in that darkest space. Thank God I I
0: never got to that point. There was moments where I probably thought about. What that would be like, you know, Uh, and this is just being totally transparent because this is Newt radio, this is just how I operate. I'm an open book and everybody knows that like if you have a question for me, for the most part, I'll give you an answer and it's going to be the real raw answer. That's just how I am. That's how I operate.
1: And during those hard times, I never thought about, you know, I never thought about attempting suicide. I
0: never thought about, you know, actually doing it, but I would have a little moments, fleeting thoughts where it would be like, what if I did do this? You know, what would what would that be like for my family? What would that be like, you know, for me? I That would be like little moments every now and then I would have just little thoughts of like, what if. It was no it was nothing as far as like, you know, I'm going to do it or, you know, I'm really contemplating it and nothing like that. I was never I never got to that dark of a point and I I never want to. I never want to. I never wanted to. And I never want to. And I just remember thinking like. You know what, regardless of what I'm going through in my present day. I can't help but think about what my future is going to be like because I just so I just I wanted to live. I wanted to love and I wanted to learn new things. And I just I just always thought about like, hey, you know, whatever's going on in my life right now is rough, but I'll be 18 soon and I'm going to move to L.A. and I'm going to be a pop star (laughs) And I just thought about like, okay, well, I'm going into ninth grade. This is gonna be a whole new chunk of life, and we gonna see how this fucking goes. I, I don't know, right? I I I'm going into it with a blind eye, and I was just hoping that those boys did not go to the same school. And thankfully, ninth grade started. The boys they weren't there. It was it was great, and I was able to. Still, again, I was 14 at that point, I was in ninth grade, I was still a kid, so I still couldn't be who I wanted to be on the inside because I, I didn't want to get disowned. I had fear, you know, again, it, it was survival. It wasn't so much of the acceptance part. It was what would be the outcome if I was to be who I feel like on the inside. And. From what I knew is that it wouldn't be good because from what I knew, it was told to be a sin and it was told to be wrong and it was not a good thing. You know, people, they didn't like that shit. You know, it was so close minded. We had so much, you know. So much one sided narratives from straight people telling stories about gay people and in reality it was so wrong they were so fucking wrong and I just remember like this isn't right you know my parents listened to all these radio show hosts and again it was straight people who were homophobic talking about gay stories and gay people and we didn't have growing up in the early 2000s at that point We didn't have what we have now. We didn't have the visibility. We didn't have the exposure. We didn't have the acceptance. We didn't have the approval. You know, we didn't have the respect during those times of, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002 uh, till 2008. You know, we didn't have that. And those were my years as an adolescent and I just remember thinking like, wow, you know, I'm just going to keep it to myself. I know who I am. I'm not going to shun it away. Uh, I I'm, I'm who I am. Right. So I just remember it would be moments in high school where kids usually it was always a female friend and they would always say this just like this. They'll say. You know I love you. You're such you're my best friend. You're my or you're my friend. You know I love you, but are you gay? And in my head, I'll be like, fuck. And I would always ask them, what made you ask me that? And I would tell them no. Because again, it was survival. It was all about survival for me. Even though I knew I was gay. I, I loved that I was gay. I just couldn't be outwardly gay at that moment. So I would always ask them, like, what made you ask me that? And I would look for an answer. And I just remember looking for an answer so I could have an identity of what it was that I did, what it was that I said, how I may have come off, you know, what my mannerisms, what they were giving, like if I was giving myself away and I say that with air quotes and. You know, I just I would always look for that answer because I'm like, let me get the answer from this person who thought I was gay, you know, and let me get this answer from them so I cannot do that again, because, again, it was survival. And I just remember having to be so meticulous with myself. I had to navigate high school in the craziest ways, being a gay black boy in the Midwest, because again, I just did not want that traumatizing eighth grade experience all over again in my high school career. I did not want that. I couldn't deal with that. And I think, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened if I would have dealt with that In high school, it's just it would not have been good. I know that for sure. And I just remember thinking like, you know, if I can catch how I talk, if I can catch how I come off, if I can catch how I walk, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be so fine tooth combed with everything, how I come off that I don't get asked that question because I don't want that repeat of eighth grade again. And what would piss me off the most was like when I would ask them that, they would be like, oh, uh, well, you know, oh, no, it's just you it's just something that you did or something. That, I'm like, give me the answer so I cannot do that again, because I can't. I can't keep possibly being afraid for my life. And my my school career, I can't. My school career is at risk, my peace of mind is at risk. And my safety, my mental and physical safety is possibly at risk. So I need for y'all to articulate what it is that I did that made you ask me that question if I was gay or not, so that I can literally never do it again. And I would have to like be on guard so much. It was so exhausting. It was so exhausting where I had to be on guard 24-7. That was rough, y'all. Like, if you can think about it, that shit was tough. It was not easy. It was hard. It was really hard having to monitor yourself 24-7. There were no off days. This was the early 2000s. There were no off days. I was a young gay black boy in Michigan. There were no off days. I had no escape. You know, I I didn't have that luxury. I didn't have it. And I just remember being so exhausted of having to monitor how I came off. Like I couldn't really, I enjoyed myself, but I couldn't at the same time. It was very weird. It was, I mean, very complicated. And I just remember thinking, like, you know what? I'm almost 18. I'm going to be the person I want to be soon enough. I'm moving from this state. I'm going to move to Hollywood. I'm going to be the male J-Lo because I love Jennifer Lopez. I've always loved J-Lo. I mean, she's a true showgirl. I mean, and she literally just turned 51. She's amazing. And just remember thinking to myself, like, you know what? I'm going to be a superstar. That was my idea. And whatever these people had to say, it's not going to matter. These high schoolers, I'm never going to see them again. And I went through life. In high school, dealing with that, and I was a gay who, again, knew that I was gay, accepted that I was gay, but also knew that I couldn't be out really gay at the at the time. But if I was always, you know, That person, I just knew that, you know, any of those times where I would be asked, you know, if I was gay or not, I would say no because it was an inner business, but also it was for survival. But I never was the gay guy who was somebody who would, you know, put it off on somebody else and say like, no I ain't no faggot I ain't gay f- the fuck i'm not I'm not fruity you know I've seen this so many times where boys would be gay and they would literally down other gays they would down you know and tease and taunt other outwardly or more flamboyant gay boys during high school and all that stuff or whatever to take off attention from themselves. They would gay bash other boys who were out really gay during those times to take off the attention from themselves. And looking back on it, that's one of the biggest red flags. It's like anybody who can subscribe to homophobia to take and deflect from their own homosexuality is problematic as fuck. That in itself is internalized homophobia. And I just remember being that kid that I never said any of those things. I just said no. And I just asked a question, like, you know, what did I do to make you ask me that? So I couldn't do it again because, again, I'll survive with y'all. And I just remember getting into high school again. This was a process, this was a, a long thought out process. And being a loner, I had so much time. To myself, I had so much time thinking about my future and thinking about who I am and what I wanted to be. Right, and I just remember thinking like, okay, high school is gonna come to an end soon. Okay, great, high school's to an end. I stuck my middle finger up at everybody and said, "Fuck this!" and people didn't understand why, but I knew why. That was me of saying like, "Fuck all of this shit." I'm 18 now. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm getting a fuck out and I'm going to finally live the life that I wanted to live. I want to be authentic with myself. I want to love on myself openly and out loud. You know, that was that was me. And I ended up coming out the closet at 18 years old I waited until December of 28, not not 2018, 2008 and or, you know, 2008, however you all want to say it. But I waited until I was about to turn 19 and I said, bam, I'm gay. This is it. (laughs) And it was a struggle for my mom being somebody who practiced the Christian faith and she pretty much struggled with the fact that she loved me to pieces because my mom is a mom. My mom, mom's heart, right? My dad, dad's heart. I'm my dad's only son and my parents love me and I love my parents and in the next few episodes we'll get into some topics to like really go in into deep into this relationship that I have with my parents. But anyone who knows me knows that I am extremely close with my parents and I tell them everything. You know, we are so open with everything. I mean, I'm able to tell them what I think and, and they're able to tell me what they think. And we just we have such a close bond. I'm a mommy and daddy's boy literally. And it was a struggle. It was it was a struggle for my mom as far as her loving me unconditionally, but also knowing her past as what she was taught as a Christian black girl in America in the Midwest again very close-minded y'all. And she struggled with that, but she ended up coming around and my dad Being a dad just loved me for who I was. And I told my friends, everybody accepted me for who I was. And I eventually made the move to come to Dallas where I was able to be openly gay. I went to school and college in Dallas. And luckily, I was in a space where I was able to be that person that I was looking to be as a kid. I was making those steps, you know, I was taking those steps closer and closer and closer to grow and to truly accept myself for who I was. And to my surprise, Dallas was very gay friendly and for it to be in Texas, I was always shocked because during those times of when I was a teenager, this was, you know, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012 and it was that phase like where some gay boys were like you know straight up like dressing up in girl clothing in heels and a handbag and all that stuff and in the south at least it was acceptable i mean you know you had that being popular in the atlanta scene you had that being popular in texas and i'm sure in other southern states where boys were able to be openly gay and within their true selves right and express themselves the way they want it and i just remember being shocked because that may not be what i wanted to be as far as like how i wanted to dress how i wanted to you know carry myself or whatever but i was always just a little bit different and i just remember telling my my dad when i was 18 when i came out the closet I wanted to tell them that, you know, fuck everything that y'all have heard on the radio station, fuck every crazy book that you've heard written by some homophobic straight person talking about the gay experience. Let me educate you. Let me be the teacher right now and tell you my story. And I remember telling my dad, I explained it best to him like this. I remember telling him that, you know, with I remember telling my dad that, you know, with being gay, look at it like this. The rainbow flag. That rainbow flag represents different types of gays. We're all different. You know, we all like certain things. We all act or carry ourselves in different ways. And though I may have been more on the more masculine spectrum of of being gay. And again, I say that with air quotes. I was never the butchiest of the dudes. I was never the the hyper masculine man. You know, I was never that dude, because, again, if I was, I wouldn't get asked the question if I was gay or not on occasion, you know, because, again, that would happen every now and again. Right. It wasn't often, but it would happen a few times masculine enough and i was somebody who they probably didn't feel as threatened by me if i was to be gay around straight guys or something like that like that and i get that i was i was aware of that but i've always been who i am today i've always been that person my whole life and. My little gender norms or whatever you want to call it, I subscribed to certain ones and then I didn't subscribe to other ones, like I didn't conform to certain gender norms as far as, you know. What people feel the need to say, like, oh, boys are supposed to do this and girls are supposed to do this, and boys aren't supposed to do this and girls aren't supposed to do this. this." There were certain things that I did and certain things I didn't do. Like I was just a little boy. I was just a boy growing up and I was just me. And though I may not have been as feminine, I knew that that didn't define me. And I knew that being gay and being black was not a monolith and that we were all so different so special so unique in our own ways because we all have different stories we literally all live different lives and I remember just explaining to my dad like hey like you know just think about it like this you got all these different types of gays and just think about like each and every color on that flag on that rainbow flag representing each and every one of us and the type of gay that I am is one of those colors. Just think about it like that. And I remember him saying like, wow, OK, that makes sense. And we moved on with the conversation. We went into something else like, you know, because we have dialogue. My, my dad and I, me and my mom, we have dialogue. And I just remember going through life, you know, in Dallas and preparing for L.A., and I ended up moving to L.A. at 22. I had never been in California. I had never you know, stepped foot on California soil ever before I moved out here. I didn't know anyone. I was young as fuck at 22 years old. y'all. I didn't I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any family members. I just knew that this was my time to shine. This was my opportunity to move to Hollywood finally. And I finally got here and I made some of the most genuine friends I've ever made in my life. And contrary to popular belief, there's so many people that are sweet and kind here in L.A., contrary to popular belief. Everybody's not fake. Everybody's not phony. You can have genuine friendships and relationships here. It's possible. (laughs) Because, of course, growing up in Michigan, you see all these TV shows and all these movies and stuff like that. And you got all these depictions of, of Hollywood and L.A. as a total city and, and all that stuff of being untrustworthy and, and materialistic and, and fucking shallow and vain and all these things or whatever. And in certain ways, you do have that. But in my experience, that's just not the type of energy I attract. And I just remember thinking, like, wow, like, here it is. You know, I'm here. I'm about to live my life. I'm about to be who I want to be. And I worked my ass off. Y'all, I I did the work and I have friends of different ethnicities and religions and creeds. I mean, different genders, different sexualities. I have straight guy friends. I have straight girlfriends. I have gay friends. I have lesbian friends. I have transgender friends. You know, I have some non-binary friends, you know, and associates. I have those people in my life and I live to learn. I give myself a five learning lesson rule each and every day because I'm a Sagittarius and we are philosophers at heart. We want to know about everything. So I'm always trying to learn by experiencing new things, hearing other people's stories. That's why I made this podcast. This was exactly why I made nude radio, because I wanted to learn people's experiences. I wanted to hear their stories and I wanted to compare and contrast the differences and the similarities of our experience growing up in America, growing up in the world we're living in, in our generation. Rather, we're millennials, even my Gen X friends, even my, you know, Gen Z friends or my millennial friends uh, who may be straight or gay or non-binary or whatever. I wanted to hear these stories. So this is why I made Nude Radio. And I just I came to, you know, accept myself even more, like again, I was already accepting myself as a kid, I was accepting to myself as an adolescent, as a teenager. So, here was I was a grown up, I was becoming a grown up at least, and I was becoming an adult in LA. I grew up here in LA, I'm, a, I'm 30 years old now, and I moved here at 22. I'll be 31 at the end of the year, December 1st. So remember, give me some birthday presents, y'all. But it'll be eight years that I've been in L.A. come August 13th of 2020. And it's coming up because August is literally next week. (laughs) Time is passing by fast with this fucking pandemic. Like every day it's like melting into each other. And literally every day just flows and the weeks just pass by fast. But August is going to mark eight years here in LA, and it's been trial and error. It has been a journey. Again, being a Sagittarius, we love an adventure. We love mystery. We thrive off of it. We love it, y'all. And it's been a roller coaster, and I've I've loved every moment for the most part. And when it comes to accepting the gayness. L.A. in essence, California in general is very much a gay state It's super gay friendly and I love it for it. And I just remember when I'm with my straight friends, they don't make me feel like I am the only gay guy. You know, they don't make me feel like I'm the gay friend. When I'm with my friends who aren't black, they don't make me feel like the black guy. You know, they don't make me feel like the token. You know, I don't get off on being the token black guy. I don't get off on being the token gay. I am just a person who loves my friends and we're out having a good time. And being gay and being a little bit more what my friend was mentioning that when we first had the conversation about internalized homophobia, he was mentioning, you know, the fact that I was passable. I was straight passing at least. And I could see that, you know, how that could benefit. I could see the privilege in certain behaviors and certain character traits in being straight passing. I totally get it. I'm Again, I'm so much in my head. I'm very much aware of who I am and very much aware of what my surroundings are calling for. And there's been moments where I've encountered homophobic microaggressions. Like, for example, I told my friend, I'm like, you know, give me an example of this internalized homophobia. And I just remember him telling like, okay, well, you know, with you being straight passing, like, Oh, you don't act gay, or we didn't know you were gay because you didn't act gay or whatever. And that in itself, y'all, is homophobic microaggressions. It's very similar to being black and being articulate, you know, and just well spoken when a non-black person, definitely a white person, would say, like, oh, you don't talk black or you don't act like all the other black people, and it's like that's not a compliment. That's actually an insult. Like, let's let's go ahead and, and unpack this before I cuss you the fuck out. Let's 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 use this opportunity as a learning lesson. Right. And it's similar to that. Like being straight passing is similar to being black and well-spoken. Oh, you talk so well to be black. Bitch, the fuck do you know that we can literally be whatever the fuck we want to be? We are not a monolith. Don't ever fucking minimalize me and minimize us. Based off of some stereotype that you have, don't ever fucking do that. And if I have the time, I'm going to correct you because I'm going to be pissed off, annoyed, but also I'm going to want to educate you so that you don't give somebody else that same bullshit. So when it comes to being straight passing, I see how I could have privilege. I see how I can have certain benefits. I get it. I'm totally aware of it, but I don't weaponize it. I don't use it to benefit or to, you know, belittle other, pers- uh, other people of my community, at least. I don't do that. I've never done that. So for me to be in my 20s and now my 30s now, I'm not going to do that. So somebody was to come up to me and say some homophobic microaggression. I'm going to correct them because I'm going to say, you know what? I understand what you're saying, but let's let's go ahead and, and take this opportunity as a learning lesson. What is being gay to you? Give me your answers so I can give you my answers. You know. Where did you come from? That you thought that we were this stereotypical flamboyant, you know, person sashaying and voguing and and damn switching and, and talking like, like what? What's
1: your what's your stereotype for us? Because, you know, that's not all true, right? You know, we're all different, right? The fuck? Don't ever fucking say that shit to me again. Don't ever say that to somebody
0: else. I'm going to give them that lesson because I don't want to give them the opportunity to weaponize their ignorance towards someone who is of the LGBTQIA community who may be a little bit more sensitive. You know, I don't want them to make somebody else feel bad from the, for their own ignorance, right? So again, I just use that as, lessons to learn, if it's not in a malicious way,
1: it's an opportunity
0: to learn, to teach. I tell people, teach these people, show them the way so they don't fucking fort into life using that same rhetoric. They don't go forward in life being ignorant, saying stupid ass shit like that. And that's just one of many. There's so many boys who I know who practice internalized homophobia who would love to hear that. Oh, you don't act gay. Oh, you don't talk gay. And I know so many dudes who would probably take that as a compliment. And little do they know, they're literally
1: putting us 10 steps back as a community. They're not protecting their brothers and their sisters. They're not doing that. They're causing a detriment. To us as a whole. At that point. Oh, you no, don't say that to me. Because, again, I'm very much aware that there's
0: guys who literally would take that as a compliment. And I would say. That would probably be something that is like at the top of the tears when it comes to internalized homophobia. That's one major example, one major indicator of internalized homophobia and self-hatred because you think that, you know, you can put down other people. You think that you can, uh, you feel fear, you feel hatred towards yourself. That's not me. You know, and that's why I told my friend and he thought that it was impossible. Like he literally did not believe what I had told him. You know, he didn't believe that some people are a little bit more evolved in certain ways and some people are a little bit less involved in certain ways. Because, again, we're humans. We're not perfect,
1: y'all. We ain't perfect. We make mistakes. We have to learn. I know a lot of fucking shit, but I
0: don't know everything. And I'll never say I know everything because I don't.
1: I can have a conversation about tons of things. But I don't know everything. I'm not perfect. He's not perfect. None of us are. We're flawed. We're literally flesh. And bone. Okay. And thoughts. (laughs) That's what we are. So
0: give us room to not be perfect. Give us room to not be evolved or give us room to be evolved in certain ways of life. And I just remember him just sitting there, just literally not understanding that, dude, this has been a process. I've had so much time to be with myself
1: to accept myself, to love myself, okay? I'm literally the person, the person that I am today. The person that I am today, I dreamt of being this person as a little boy. Can you guys, like, can I get a witness? Like, can I get? Can I get a?
0: I mean, come on now. I need. Are you the person that you dreamt about as a kid? That's a question for you. I'm putting that question on our Instagram page. Make sure to follow at Newt Radio One Hundred and One on Instagram and Twitter. But I need to make a poll. Are you?
1: currently the person that you dreamt of being as a kid. Because when I think about it, I am.
0: I'm so proud in my gayness. I'm so proud in who I am as a person. People love me. People gravitate towards me. People have great things to say about me
1: because I'm genuine, because I'm forthcoming, because I'm upfront. I'm honest. People can respect that. People see it and they literally cannot help but be around it. And
0: I've been self-aware of that for at least the last 15 years. It's literally a thing. And that's also why I started this show, Nude Radio, of course. And I I just felt like with my friend not believing in The fact that this was not a moment that was like a switch that just like lit up. No, this was literally years of work.
1: Of accepting myself for who I was, of loving myself for who I was. So. Some people. May. Practice internalized homophobia, but not me.
0: No, I love myself too much. I literally love myself too much. And my parents love me for who I am. My family members who I'm close with love me for who I am. But most importantly, y'all, I love myself for who I am. That's the most
1: important thing. That's what matters at the end of the day. When you lay down, do you love who the fuck you are? You feel me? So. I just I was just like, you
0: know what, I need to I need to make a show. I need to sit down because this was still in my heart, you know, because to be internalized homophobic, I mean, that's an insult. That's an insult. Like, that's not a good thing. That means you practice self-hate. And I love myself way too much to hate myself
1: let me tell you. And I just hope that going forward, people look into themselves and
0: really realize exactly like who they are, what they want, where they come from, where they're going. And just think about like, are you living the life that you wanted to live when you were a kid? Are you That dream person, do you have that house? Do you have that lifestyle? Do you have that acceptance? Do you have that
1: love that you wanted as a kid? So, take some time to think about it, you guys. But
0: of course, I just wanted to get on for this semi nude episode for nude radio and talk a little bit about internalized homophobia. But feel free to give me your feedback, of course. Make sure to follow the hashtag Nude Radio and make sure to hashtag Nude Radio 101 on social media, whether you are on Instagram or Twitter. And make sure to follow me on Nude Radio 101 on Twitter. Same thing, same name uh, on Instagram, Nude Radio 101 on Twitter and Instagram under the same name. I want some feedback. Fill in those comment sections. Give me your reviews on this episode of internalized homophobia. And do you practice it or not? Let's see. Because again, you guys, this is all a learning lesson. So never be down on yourself. Always evolve. And uh, yeah, let me know what you think. But uh, I enjoyed having this conversation. And I look forward to talking to you guys soon. This has been your host, Kenny
1: Heflin. And thanks for listening to Nude Radio.